Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we've been discussing CIC issue number 67, John the Baptist and Prophets to Nations. You can find that at our website, cicministry.org. Now, in the past few episodes, we have talked about the verses in Matthew where Jesus refers to two comings of Elijah, the first one being fulfilled with John the Baptist, and the second one being the two witnesses that we find in Revelation 11. Right now, we're discussing prophets during the church age, and our claim is that there are no authoritative prophets to nations during the church age. The one prophet that the false prophets tend to bring up and use as an example to validate their ministry is Agabus, who we read about in the book of Acts. So the question then is, does Agabus prove that there are authoritative prophets today? Yes, and we certainly affirm that Agabus prophesied during the church age. Okay. That's certainly the period from uh, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost until the rapture. Okay. And so our claim is that during that time, there are no prophets or authoritative prophets to nations in a sense of somebody who would rebuke kings, predict national calamities, interpret calamities in terms of God's specific judgment for specific sins, and the various things that you saw in the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, okay, yep. Okay, so we've been in this series discussing that and saying there, there are no such people, and the people who are claiming that that's their status, that they can rebuke kings and presidents and governors and tell us, well, we have a drought. It's because God is angry with whatever civil you know, jurisdiction they want to rebuke and say why. Well, they may try to do that, but they're not valid. Okay. okay. We're mm-hmm. in the church age. We're under providence. We're preaching the gospel. There is such a thing as prophecy, but it's not what they're claiming it is. So what we want to do is look at Agabus, who did predict the future, okay? And in a very specific case, and he was a valid prophet, and he functioned uh, during the time of the apostles, but certainly during the church age. Okay. We talked about Agabus just a little bit last time and introduced it in Acts 11.28. So let's go back there. Read that, and it says here, and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius, Acts eleven twenty-eight. So okay. Agabus predicted a famine, and since the last time we were broadcasting, I did a little more research on this, and this is something that happened. This was historical, okay? Okay. We have evidence for it. Let me cite 
Dr. Polhill in his commentary on this passage. He says this, quote, in Antioch, Agabus predicted that there would be a worldwide famine. Luke added the aside that this famine did indeed occur during the time of Claudius, who was Roman emperor from AD 41 to 54. The reign of Claudius was in fact marked by a long series of crop failures in various parts of the empire, in Judea, in Rome, in Egypt, and in Greece. The wow. Judean famine seems to have taken place during the procuratorship of Tiberius Alexander, AD 46 to 48, and Egyptian documents revealed a major famine there in AD 45 to 46 due to flooding. So says uh, Paul Hill, the most likely time for the Judean famine would thus seem to have been around AD 46. So not only did this happen, this anchors Acts in real objective history. Okay? Right. This can be proven not, from outside of the Bible. It's just not the, it's, it, it's actual history that we can know. Right. And so the Bible's reliable. And Agabus's prophecy turned out to be accurate. And we have outside collaboration that this is historical fact. So as we pointed out before, and let's emphasize it again, that Agabus, unlike almost all of the modern prophets, in fact, uh, they may be sort of right about something, but it's pretty rare. He was right. What he said actually happened. And to pick up where we left off, one of the things that we also need to look at is that Agabus was not prophesying to kings or governors or people that had civil authority. Right. This was not being a prophet to a nation. Right. It, it was to... The thesis here is that during the church age, there are no prophets to nations. That was John the Baptist's role, and it will be the role of the two witnesses during the tribulation period. But between Pentecost and the rapture, prophets aren't prophesying to civil authorities. Right. Nor are they telling various geographical areas ruled by civil authorities that whatever is going on is due to some specific sin. Okay. Israel was a covenant nation. They had kings and prophets, and they had the law of Moses governing their affairs, and so they had these sort of things. But the church doesn't uh, rule over geographical territory, geopolitical entities. Now, the false prophets don't get this. And they appoint themselves prophets to nations. Okay. And I get emails from people claiming that status. And they're predicting this and predicting that. But they're not Agabus. Now, in the case of Agabus, his prophecy was for the benefit of the church. Okay. Now, the action that they took 
directly involve the church. And so that's what we read in Acts 11, 29, and 30. Let me read that. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And so we see here the level of confidence that the church had in the Agabus that they, before the fact, took action to deal with the effects of a famine that had not yet happened. Okay. And so it served to, to protect the early church and allow them to grow and flourish. Yeah, they, they believed that Agabus was telling the truth. And he spoke this before the famine actually happened. Okay. Now, as we've said, and we'll be showing this eventually, one of these uh, in this series, modern prophets don't have that same capability. Okay. So as we were just now talking about Agabus, the one that came to mind for me was this Dana Coverstone who was telling us all, you know, they're going to, the U.S. Mint is going to stop making one in $5 bills and we need to have non-cash currency, gold or silver or whatever, and all these claims he's making that he's only making to the church. Is he a modern day Agabus? Well, uh, I don't believe so. And if he's wrong, then he's, he's, he's out of business forever. Well, so... That, okay? Okay. In my article, um, yeah, we, we talked about Deuteronomy 13, that they had to be accurate. Okay? Okay. And if they were accurate, and then also Deuteronomy 18, if they were accurate, they had to have a right Christology or uh, theology. They had to talk about the true God. Right. Okay. They, they sent people after some other God, then they were false. First, uh, Deuteronomy 18, if they predicted something and it didn't come to pass, they were false. Okay. Okay. So you're so, a guy who's prophesying that there'll be no more $1 bills and $5 bills. Right. Okay. Yes. Now here's the problem. Now, I don't know what, oh, so then the action would be, what, go get Bitcoin? What is he telling people to do? I, I think he's thinking more along the lines of gold and silver and, and other things that tend to retain yeah, their value. Dollars an ounce or 1900 right now or whatever it is. Um, yeah. You'd have to have a pretty small little piece of it to pay for anything. It wasn't really expensive. Right. Okay, we've been well, off, so here's off though. Uh, the coins haven't been made out of real precious metals since 1964. Yes. Okay, so here's the so, deal. Okay. What let, let me explain one more thing with him, because it's important here. He claimed that was all going to happen by December 1st, and there was going to be Chinese troops, and I believe he said Russian troops, I don't have my notes right in front of me, on the ground in Washington, D.C. in November, and Trump was going to be nowhere to be found, and the UN was going to be called in in November. It's well, December December 10th as we're recording right yeah, now. I'm looking at December 10 right now. 
Okay, so he was wrong. Yep. So right. false prophet. Wrong. False prophet. Wrong, wrong. Now, let me explain this, okay? And there's categories, and my article gets into that. Okay. CICministry.org uh, issued 67. And it's about John the Baptist. It's prophets that are wrong, even once, and that are in the business of predicting the future, are utterly worthless. Right. By logic, by just the very logic of the thing. They're utterly worthless and useless. In fact, they're always harmful. And here's why. And I've written about this before because I, I wrote about a guy who made a prophecy. And I wrote before the time he had sat and told why it was worthless. Turned out he was wrong too. Now here's yes. the deal. The only reason a prophet would be of value who is predicting things is if we knew for certain that what he says is true. Because if you don't know that it's true, you can't really take action. Right. Okay, so in the case of Agabus in Acts, they were so certain that he was correct that they were willing to take significant action that would cost them resources and time and effort to prepare for a famine and then help during a famine. And it actually came to pass. If it didn't, they would have been wasting all their time and they would have brought the, the food and wouldn't have really been needed. Wouldn't have been the end of the world. world they have a bunch of food, but they were wasting their time. They could have been doing something else. Yeah. And we've seen that in our day. There were people predicting, now this is a little different, but some prophets were going crazy back then. That okay. when the year 2000 came, we were gonna run out of food. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, all the, all the computers were gonna go down. The economy was gonna grind to a halt and people were stockpiling food. Mm-hmm. Some people did. I ignored the whole thing because I never in my lifetime seen a crisis that was actually predicted. They come, but nobody knew they were going to come. Right. The real crises like this uh, pandemic we're in right now were, were not actually predicted. Mm -hmm. Not in any specific way. So this old year 2000 thing, now not everybody listening is old enough to remember that. But it came to nothing. And people ended up with massive deep freezes and piles of food they don't really want to eat. You got all this dried canned or, or canned and dried food in your basement and there nothing happens. And it's a lot more appealing just to go get a quarter pounder with cheese. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I, I remember that night sitting up watching because on the other side of the world, Y2K hit before us. And I remember sitting up in the middle of the night watching the news just to see, was everything going to go crazy on the other side? Like, and in the back of my mind, I mean, I was in my 20s then, 25 maybe. And, and all I was thinking was, I wonder if I'm going to have to work tomorrow. <laughs> like, I was hoping for a day. I was not concerned about running out of food. But if all the computers went down, I was going to be good with having a day off work. <laughs> Well, so but it was all fine. You didn't have a generator and a whole bunch of gas 
and a deep breath. No oh. extra food. And, and I, as I watched the New Year's roll in on the other side of the world, I realized I was going to have to set my alarm and get up and go to work the next morning because everything was fine. Yeah, I know. So I didn't even do anything because I'd already seen so many false predictions in my life by that time. Yeah. The 70s were, were just filled with such things. And I eventually, in this article, we'll get to some of that that I heard back in the 70s, which is over 40 years ago, this is going on. So here's uh, listeners. This is a lot simpler than if we just get the categories right, okay? Okay. Deuteronomy 13 still applies. They, they might say, well, it's just Old Covenant. Now we get to be wrong. Now they're, they're going to make a sleight of hand, a, a category shift to try to do that, but we're going to debunk that too. Well, let's okay, just stick okay. with Agabus right now. The only way that a predictor of events that are near-term events, like Agabus did with the famine, are of any help to the church is if they're 100% accurate. Logically, here's why. If somebody says, um, turn all your dollars into gold or whatever, and you need an awful lot of them to get any gold. Um, that's only, we, we don't know whether to take action if it's not certain. In other words, if somebody says, there's going to be a massive famine next year, like Agabus did, but they're of the fallible type prophet, okay? And okay. they've been wrong in the past. So now what we know is this. There might be a famine next year, there might not be a famine next year, right? We already know that. Right. So <laughs> I knew that before there was a prophet. So the false prophet adds zero to what I know. He adds nothing. Yeah. I already know there may or may not be a famine, or the dollar may or may not be worth more. In fact, I don't really know the future. Yeah, and we don't. People are... <laughs> desiring knowledge that God has not chosen to give us. And they really want to know the near future. We have absolute infallible knowledge about the distant future because it's in Scripture. Right. We have details about what will happen during Daniel's 70th week. It's in Matthew 24. Up, uh, actually up to verse 36. But we're not in Daniel's 70th week. Right. Okay? The part that applies to us is from 36 on, which would mean when will these things begin and then it will happen. He said, you don't know. Yeah. Suddenly and unexpectedly. Yeah, that's true. So, so, dear, so, so we're not going to plan for it to happen. No, we're in a church age and the rapture will happen at some future unknown time. And what we need to plan for is living the life that we're in now and fulfilling the Great Commission. Our calling uh, during the church age is to preach Christ, preach the gospel, and help people see the way out of the certainty of future judgment that will come. Right. How to escape the wrath of God against sin. 
That's our prophetic meth message. And we'll be talking some more about that. And so uh, I hope you can see this. Anybody's prediction that's in the subjunctive mood, that's a Greek idea, uh, meaning uh, it's uncertain. Okay. The, the imperative is do this. This is a command. The indicative is this is. Right. Or you can say this will be. Okay. With a future verb. But this might happen is not certain. Right. We know a famine might happen. We know the dollar mm -hmm. may collapse. We also know the dollar may get stronger. We know the yeah. price of gold might go up. We also know the price of gold might go down. And, and so it's so important not to listen. How much money, how much airtime, how much wasted emotional energy of, of worries and concerns because of the false prophets running to and fro all across the world. And yeah. because of what I just explained, that uncertain knowledge is worthless. Right. In regard to the future. That's why they can't be wrong even once. Right. Because if they're not infallible, they're giving us uncertain knowledge. And they're not yeah. speaking for God because he is infallible. Right. And the church needs to know what God said, not what might be or might not be. That's not even helpful. Right. And it also, they, they want to create a category where they can't be judged. Yeah. So, and so somebody says, I tell you right now, this is going to happen next year. In the name of the Lord, they say it. How do mm -hmm. I judge that? I can't. We can't. I don't know. But see, the false prophets have their own little system. They misinterpret 1 Corinthians 14. And they say that the prophets speak by one or two or three and then let the others judge. And we, we need to deal with that. We'll, we'll do that in a future program. But just to give you a little preview, the way they interpret it in the, okay. in the apostles and prophets movement is the prophets speak and then the ones that judge are other prophets. So when they're, and that's exactly what they do. Right. So in their perverted world of false doctrine, they take this out of context. They prey on people's ignorance because people don't know that in the Greek, just the, the prophesying one or the one who prophesies, when it can be called a prophet with a noun because of the nature of the Greek language, and it's just functional terminology. So when it says you may all prophesy one by one, it means all the members of the congregation, not just the ones that are prophets in some right. uh, formal uh, ministry, like um, uh, the prophets that are the foundation of the church in, in the book of Ephesians. Okay, so they get that wrong. So they say the prophets speak and the other prophets judge. So they get these prophets, however many, who knows. And one of them says, I say, thus saith the Lord, 
um, the dollar, there's not going to be any dollar bills or whatever they're, they're saying. And the only ones that get to judge are the other prophets that are already deceived the same way. Right. They have the, the false prophets discussion. get to judge the false prophets. Right. And it's all subjective. Yeah. And so one says, well, I think that's from God. Or the other one says, you know, I think we should believe this because this guy is highly regarded in our movement. He has lots of followers. He has a massive Facebook page and email list. And he's got people that give him lots of money to, to buy airplane tickets and come and preach all over the world. He is so amazing. We might as well just believe him. He must be from God. And so the false prophets uh, give their imprimatur to other false prophets. And the poor saints lose their money. Their minds are confused. They don't hear the real gospel. And all of this is just harmful and damaging to the church. And real prophecy is bringing forth valid implications and applications from Scripture. Right. We will get to that in a future right. episode because it's so whole, important to understand. And I wrote a whole article about that, and it's uh, called The Prophetic Calling of Every Believer. Right. Okay, so back to Agabus. There is a second prophecy of Agabus recorded in, in the book of Acts. And if I remember correctly, this dealt specifically with the Apostle Paul. Yes, and this happened in, in Acts uh, 2021, where they were gathered, and Paul was addressing Ephesian elders. Okay. And the prophecy uh, is listed in Acts 21, starting at verse 10. But here's what it says, Acts 21, 10 through 14. And as we, now Luke was actually there, so he's an eyewitness. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Then quoting the Spirit. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles, unquote, of the Spirit. Verse 12, and when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, verse 13, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Wow. So now we know from Acts that he was bound and arrested in Jerusalem. Yeah. But Agabus wasn't speaking of directive prophecy in the sense saying, Yea, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not go to Jerusalem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He accurately predicted what would happen if Paul did go. Right. And in Luke Acts, just as, um, you know, if anybody's been listening to my series on Acts, I've been preaching for a long, long time in Sunday school, when it's my turn to preach Sunday school, Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem where he'd be rejected. Right, yes. Okay. 
And Luke is purposely showing that Paul echoes that, of course, not in the sense of dying for sins, but as Jesus was going to Jerusalem to be rejected, Paul is on this journey to Jerusalem to be rejected. Wow. And so uh, an astute reading of Luke Axel will show that. And so in Paul's mind, it was necessary to go there because God was bringing him there to fulfill uh, the, the purpose of the gospel going back to where it began in Jerusalem and further confrontation. And certainly also there was an interaction when he gets there with James and there were some Christians who had been deceived thinking that Christians had to keep the law, including okay. aspects of temple Judaism. And so all of this was for a reason. But again, Agabus was accurate. Yes, it happened just like he said it would. Yeah. And so I would say this. Agabus was associated with the apostles. And personally, I believe that we don't have any Agabus people today. Okay. Um, people have debated me and said, well, couldn't there be one? Because Agabus was after Pentecost. But there's continuity and discontinuity. I think there's something unique about the actual times of the apostles. Right. Okay. And now some people create too much discontinuity and they rule out things that are still valid. But I think Agabus was a special person that God raised up for the church at that time. And we don't have any of those people and we haven't had since the death of the apostles. All right. And that is a good place to wrap this up for today. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary. We want to remind you, you can access this episode and many others along with years worth of articles at the CIC website, CICministry.org. We want to remind you too, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramis. Bob DeWay. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>